podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap and it's our World Cup preview. People have been asking, they've been asking where are your World Cup shows? Well, here they are. Uh, this, these World Cup shows are going to, be, going to be free and we're able to put them out for free because of our association with Redspec. Redspec came on board with us at the start of the season and because of their generous backing, we're able to put even more shows out for free for you. So if you do gamble, uh, you already gamble, then we encourage you to move your customer, if you like, over to Redspec because they do give away 50% of profits to fund causes. As I say, we're not encouraging gambling, but if you do so and you already do so then you may as well do it with Reds Bet because um, half of that money that you lose will go back into Liverpool fan courses and they've also got a great fantasy game for the World Cup as well that I'll be talking more about at the end but in the meantime to talk about first of all groups A today I have most Stewart, Dan Austin, Ian Ryan and Neil Atkinson to look at this half of the draw first of all and we will start um, well I guess with uh, A today well actually we'll start with he's looking forward to it yeah Really looking forward to it. I mean, Mo, you watch a lot of sports. So, I mean, you, I, I guess you just look forward to waking up I mean, and being able to watch sports on any day. But but this is particularly the World exciting. The World Cup, though. This yeah. is the thing. Like, I do, you're right, I do watch a lot of sport. And the World Cup is still the World Cup. You can have turkey every day in December, but Christmas Day is still Christmas Day. <laughs> I mean, that's fair enough, isn't it, Dan? I mean, you're a very European guy. You might be the most European guy I know. There's a lot more about you than him, though. <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty European, you know. He's looking. He's, he's even wearing a hipster European footy shirt today. But World Cup is is a little bit better than the Euros, isn't it? It's a bit more kind of exotic. There's a little bit more unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's it just it just is that is that kind of edge above, isn't it? Yeah, there's loads of footy teams involved that are really good that we just don't watch. Um, so all the South American sides, teams from Africa and Asia and stuff that we just don't have the same knowledge of that we have of other teams. And I just think it's boss that, that loads of people from all these strange countries end up in the same place together and all have a good time and wear colours and sing and shout and that. So I really like the vibe of the whole thing more than the actual sport, I'd say. Because, <laughs> I mean, lots of it is like the actual quality of some of the games and the ones that I've seen has been fairly poor. I think the last one was really, really good. Yeah. And it's partly because of the way it was hosted and that. And maybe this one's going to have a bit less of the sort of excitement about it because of where it is and everyone's been a bit angsty about it ever since it got announced and that kind of thing but it should still have enough of the enough people going and, and enough of the party atmosphere to be bossed it's a funny one the location isn't it Neil because I think we need to remember that in the build up to the Brazilian World Cup there was a bit of contra- controversy there was there was stuff going on politically there there was talk that local people had been protesting against it and things like that and there was talk of certain areas being dodgy let's just say and and it, it turned out really well, and that's um, not to say that the, the Russian issues aren't kind of more embedded, and that's not to say that people haven't got genuine grie- genuine grievances with with certain countries with with certain beliefs being being given tournaments like that. But that said, that in terms of football terms, I imagine that the infrastructure is going to be good. I imagine the pitches and stadiums are going to be good, and it's not going to be dead hot. And I think that should help in terms of quality of football. I think that it's not going to be dead hot, a big deal. But on the wider sort of the political stuff, I think there's tons and tons of, of issues at the minute around Russia <clears throat> in a general sense that are worth sort of, you know, people knowing about and dwelling on. But 
the same thing applies to Russia that I would have applied to a lot of other countries around the world, which is to say the people who are in Russia are not the same as the Russian government. Mm. And I'm sure they're really looking forward to hosting a World Cup and getting to go and watch World Cup matches. And I think that that gets lost sometimes. And I think it, it can get it gets lost absolutely everywhere, I think. But it can get lost sometimes in amongst the all the other really valid criticisms and points that can be made. The fact of the matter is there is such a thing as an ordinary Russian. And there is such a thing of an ordinary Russian who really likes his football and an ordinary Russian who's really looking forward to the World Cup. And and if you accept that there's one of them, then you sort of have to accept that there's loads of them. Not least because <laughs> there's loads of Russians. Oh yeah, there's a lot of them. But also, not also that genuinely that is, you know, that is going to be quite a common trope. So I think that that stuff, is, that stuff does matter. And I think it does matter that these people get to enjoy their World Cup. Whether or not it should have been awarded to them is almost a separate basis, but now it is. It's yeah. happening. So, you know, you want to see them cut loose and really, really enjoy it. In general, am I looking forward to it? I really am. I'm, you know, I'm... <clears throat> I'm at the point now with it where I've sort of flipped from only thinking about the Reds to only thinking about the Reds next season to only thinking about transfers to now I've gone, you know what, this next, you know, from when we from from Friday onwards, because Thursday, yeah, there's the one game and it doesn't look great. But from Friday <laughs> onwards, it really is like, you know, you need to build your your life decisions around well, what do I want to see or not want to see? And I was working out whether or not to go for tea with someone on Sunday. And it was like, all right, so if we go, I think it's I think Sweden have got someone, so we can watch the Swedes first thing. And then we might, if we go and get something to eat about three o'clock, we might miss the first 20 minutes of Germany, Mexico. But that sound, because we come out of the restaurant and go into a pub and watch Germany, Mexico and isn't that great and then there's a game at seven and suddenly that's when you know you're on you know that's when you're like oh hello there's something in this and so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that I mean Germany Mexico on a Sunday after I've just had a curry it's phenomenal <laughs> it does sound good have you got a, a, a number of games you're aiming to watch here and like uh, I mean because you never watch quite as many as, you, as you'd like to uh, early start but if you've got know, it in you mind I'm going to go in like very very hard on this I have to say <laughs> I don't plan on missing. I think Neil's right. The first game's quite underwhelming. So when you look at Russia, Saudi Arabia, it kind of reminds me of the 2010. I think it was South Africa v Mexico, and that was equally kind of underwhelming. A goal for all of Africa, though. <laughs> there is that. But, uh, but after that, you kind of you hit with some really, really good games. And I think sometimes as a Liverpool fan, you, you feel like you're not supposed to enjoy international football. That's what we get told. And, and I'm not a huge England fan. Um, but I am a huge fan of the World Cup and you can't argue when you've got three, four games a day. I mean, if you look at Saturday, for instance, there's four games on Saturday. So if you're not going out on Saturday, you're doing it wrong. There's, the first game's 11 o'clock and then you've got three more after that and the decent games as well. I'm moving house. And my aim is genuinely to be boxed by kickoff and give the first game what, one. The van's, out? the van's coming at half eight. I'm not messing around. I think I'm, I think I'm boxing wow. it. <laughs> okay, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be building IKEA furniture, watching that first game at eleven. Right, it feels like content. But, 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 but even the first game, and I'm not gonna come on to the, the individual game and stuff. But even the first game on the Friday, I think it's Uruguay Egypt, which is a belter. And you've got Friday night. You have got Spain v Portugal. I mean, that's an absolute brilliant game of football to to have the pleasure of watching. So, Gibbo, in answer to the question, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I can't wait for it. Awesome. Okay, we'll start with Group A then. It is uh, Russia as host, obviously, top seed of Group A as ever, and they're joined by Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Uruguay. I mean, you look looking at that, Dan, to me, you're thinking it's it's two or three of Russia, Egypt and Uruguay, but have you made this mistake before with teams who we essentially don't, essentially don't know too much about writing them off? Um, I don't know. I think... The other two sides in that group have just not got good enough individual players to really make enough of a mark. I think one of the, the shames about the fact that it, that it is Russia this time is that they're the worst team in the tournament in the rankings. 
Um, so in terms of like the people enjoying it and stuff, I don't really think they're going to to the same extent that a normal host would. So like, I mean, South Korea went on that run in 2002 and, and Brazil and Germany have hosted it since. And even South Africa had, had their moment when they beat France in 2010. And I just don't really see it happening for Russia. I think, I think Uruguay will comfortably win the group. And then as long as Salah is is fit and playing the other two games against Russia and Saudi Arabia, that they'll just have enough. Um, really looking forward to seeing this 46-year-old Egyptian goalkeeper, though, <laughs> um, who's just been kicking about playing footy for like 30 years and is still getting a game because they've not found anyone better. I really like like little stories about that that, that, that come out in the World mm-hmm. Cup that you would otherwise have no interest in. Like if he was just the oldest player to have played in the African Champions League or whatever, you wouldn't be bothered because it doesn't it doesn't come into our sphere of football. Um, Does anyone know where the youngest player is from, by the way? Because I do, I saw it the other day. At this World Cup, or yeah, this, this one, yeah. Is it that yeah, Australian? Is it that Australian? It is the Australian. The well, day, done. Yeah. well done, Dan Austin. It is that Australian lad. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. I mean, Dan mentioned Salah there, Mo, and, and how closely you feel linked is is his his fitness and, and the kind of success. They they can't get too caught up on it though. And I remember around the last World Cup, it was actually with Uruguay, mm. and there seemed to be a kind of obsession over Suarez and, and is he kind of going to be fit? And they never really got going until he played and then he wasn't he wasn't quite fit although 60% of Suarez was good enough to beat England but in terms of they, they, they need to they need to find a way because they, they might need to find a way in the, in the first game at least to play without him and so other people need to step up and you can't just be like well we've got, got Salah so we haven't got any hope it could be a blessing in disguise I think it really could because I think when you look at some of the way that Egypt have played Hector Cooper is not really what you call an attacking flowing style manager he looked has been previously quite defensive. The fact that like they haven't got Salah, it may mean that someone like Rabdan Sobi comes in for the first game. If he plays well, hopefully, potentially, then they may look to keep him in the side and bring Salah in as well. It's like you say, it's going to mean that the supporting cast is going to have to step up. And whether or not they can do that, I don't know. The first game is going to be tough. I mean, I think we all remember how when you've got one player who is so culturally wedded to the belief and hopes of the team, how it can go horribly wrong. We saw Neymar in the last World Cup, for example. So there's a danger there. But if he is ready and if he is available, I still believe that in the two other games against Russia and Saudi Arabia, that they should have enough because those are two pretty old backlines. And even like... 75% 75% fit Salah should be able to run me yeah, I mean that's the thing isn't it Neil because in theory you want your best player for the hardest game but actually they're probably looking at them too and going Salah can just bully them I think that's massive uh, I think that they, it wouldn't surprise me if he's just benched for game one and then brought in or just 60 game one and then it's, it's taken off I I think there's there's a flip side to that though which is I think if you're Uruguay you're smelling some serious blood game one and you're thinking if we win this we're basically qualified yeah, because we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're one good win away at that stage and possibly qualifying top. And I think that that is something that I think if you are Uruguay, you, you, you do genuinely possibly want to do. I also think Uruguay are the ones who may well be best capable to, in order to deal with salary, even if he was at 100%. Yeah. You know, we're talking we've about... We've got good defenders. We've got good defenders. We've got Diego here and, 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 you know, he is widely acknowledged as one of if not the best centre half in the world current climate um, Kimena who he plays with at yeah. Atletico as well he's also sitting thing. next to him which yeah. is a massive deal for them they've got both of them 
and I, I'm sort of, I know it throws it out early, we're going to go through everything here, but I'm I'm increasingly of the view that Uruguay, you know, the, the, the last 16 game against probably Portugal, away from making the last eight, and then they're in a real position to to scare someone, I think, Uruguay. Um, and I think that, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about, if it's there are, there are, there are the one great performance from Suarez, one great performance from Godin, one great performance from Muslera, and one great performance from Cavani, mm-hmm. away from talking about them as though they're a, a team that are in the mm-hmm. semis. And listen, almost one of the worst things that could happen is that all of those great performances coincide more than anything else. But I think that, you know, in terms of individual talent, they could they can put a serious eleven on the pitch. And I I think that Uruguay can can deal with Egypt. And I think that they, if they deal with Egypt, it puts them through to fact almost certainly they've got to again make a mess of it. And the last thing they may also be able to do is rest people in their last game as well. And that also is of significance the idea that they can act like a big a big nation and make a couple of changes could well be absolutely huge for them. Uh the last game being up against Russia. Well, it's hard to analyse Russia, isn't it? I know Dan's mentioned that the ranking there, but obviously they haven't paid any qualifiers for the last two years, Ian, which which must have some bearing, you would have thought. And because a lot of their players play domestically and, and because, as I say, they haven't qualified, it's sort of hard to tell how good they are. I've just noticed that the, the bookies have gotten them 40-1 to 1 to win the whole tournament, which is actually the same as Uruguay, which doesn't kind of feel right to me. But maybe if they can get a bit of momentum, maybe if some of these players are better than we think and, you know, home crowd, they... They could do a little bit better than what we're suggesting. Possibly. I think the home crowd thing plays into those odds. Obviously, they'd expect them to maybe get through in second place because they've got the home crowd behind them. <laughs> Their recent form, it's it's not great, Gibber. You touched on it there. I mean, to be fair, in two of the last four games, they have, they have played France and Brazil, so you wouldn't expect them to get anything from that. I think they also I think they play Turkey and Austria and they get a draw and, and another defeat. So... They're not going into it great guns. I noticed one or two of their centre-halves have come out and started making noises about Salah now as well and talking about the Ramos incident and, listen, we're going to give him loads and loads of rough treatment and if we have to do what Ramos did to get him out the game, that's what we're going to do. So we'll see what happens there. But I think... No, most point before about about Egypt and Neil's point about Uruguay. They're the two I would think that would come, you know, first and second in Egypt. You know, you've got Hector Cooper and Wale Fox got Valencia to two European finals. He knows what he's doing, very defensive. He'll have enough in the locker, you would imagine, to get Egypt through the group. Dan's point earlier, it probably it's always a shame if the home nation go out early because it you feel like it loses something as a as a football tournament. Um but I have to say, I just don't see really how Russia get through this group. I do think Uruguay and, and Egypt, um, given that the star men and the standouts they've got, certainly Uruguay, you, know, you can look through the spine, you can see lads there who, who are going to more than hold their own. So they beat the two. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I would see Russia coming in third, I have to say. So that's the two Ian's going for. Is there any dissent in the room or are we, um, are we clean sweeping this one? My only dissent is whether or not they actually finish bottom. Russia yeah I mean yeah because the thing Saudi Arabia is like we said we don't really know a lot about them well I've just said about Russia playing in the domestic league it's a similar thing yeah. to Saudi Arabia they have got one striker who's I think he's level of Lewandowski in terms of the amount of goals that he scored but if you look back at some of their results like they've beaten the likes of Greece and Algeria but then they lost 4-1 to Iraq and they've got a new manager in just this year uh, who's got pedigree? He, he got a Copa America with Chile a couple of years back, but again, they're still inconsistent. You don't know whether or not that's going to be enough. It certainly shouldn't be enough against Egypt or against Uruguay. But I mean, could you imagine with it being the first game, all the pressure that Russia have got under them? 
if they manage to spring a surprise, then like, it could be really bad for the Russians. That's my only descent. The top two are the top two, definitely. Okay, uh, we'll go on to Group B now as well. It's a little bit more tasty in terms of names who might do well in the tournaments. We've got Portugal, Spain, Morocco and Iran. Um, I'll start with you, Dan, as you're looking at me. Um, I mean, that Portugal-Spain game is, is the first big one, isn't it? It's the one we've talked about there. It's it's, it's Friday night at 7 o'clock and, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be tasty. And, and it's two teams who will want to play well against each other as well. You don't, you don't fancy they'll be thinking, I'll point each other and we'll go. They'll want to beat each other. Yeah, and a lot of them play in the same league as well. A lot of yeah. them play in the Spanish division, so we'll be familiar with each other, possibly even play for the same teams. Um, and it does feel like a bit of a psychological marker, whoever comes out on top in that one, if it's not a draw, um, in terms of whoever wins it is likely to finish top of the group and then get a, in theory, more favourable draw in the next round. Um, I, I actually quite fancy Iran to get through this. Okay, you know, go on, I'm which listening. Which is wild and Mo's eyes have nearly just come out of his head as he said that. And it's because I was thinking about the format of the games before and I was basically, I was basically thinking that they might be Portugal to second because, mm-hmm. say, for example... Spain beat Portugal in that game on Friday night and Iran beat Morocco. Um, the three points ahead already and then they only really need a draw in, in, in the game with Portugal and they should in theory be all right or maybe like a little point off Spain or just to win one of them. Having the big dog. game as the first game does open up that possibility. Yeah, it, mean, it means that as long as they beat Morocco, which I think they are a better football team than Morocco, they're probably going to be top of the group. Um, or certainly level top of the group with whoever wins the other one and they've had, they've had the same manager they've had Carlos Quiroz for seven years I think it is now so he knows them really well um, they've got two forwards who score loads and loads of goals and they're not in particularly great leagues one of them is Sardar Asmoon who Liverpool were linked with very strongly so about, really a, yeah, about 18 months ago he's got 23 and 33 international games um, and they've also got Alareza Jabankash, who was the top scorer in the Dutch division last year, scored 24 from midfield for AZ Alkmaar, um, which is a bit wild. Um, so I, I think if they can get off to a good start in that Morocco game, and, and Morocco have got a few other right players at the back, haven't they? Ben- they didn't yeah, concede a goal in qualifying Nabil Morocco. Dira, um, but I don't know, I, ju- I, ju- I just think they could do it. There's always there's always a weird one, isn't there? Like Spain got knocked out of the group in 2014, didn't they, as holders? There's always a, a weird upset in the groups. And I fancy it to be in this one. I think Iran will get through. I mean, and then that lends credence to Neil's argument because they would then play Uruguay in the round of 16. There you go, Neil. I mean, you've been brought in. Tournament's opening up for me. I mean, it's it's wrong just to presume, as Dan said there, that all the teams we expect to go through will. There's always surprises. There's always someone who, who's better than we thought. So there's always a situation where, you know, it's not how football and, and kind of strange things happen. So... I mean, do you think this could be the group where, where where something unusual happens? I think I think what what the way in which this has gone does is I think it puts massive pressure on. I think that first game's really weird, and I think a lot of I think for Dan's argument to sort of stand up, what needs to happen is for Spain and Portugal to go at each other, and I don't know if they're going to do that yet. And I think that we're not going to. It could well be that Spain and Portugal take the attitude of, and I think this might be just something that happens on the pitch. If that's nil nil or one one on seventy. How eager are either side going to be to make that 2-1? And yes, there's the, the idea that it's an, an Iberian derby and all of that sort of stuff, but I wonder whether or not both of them will adopt the attitude of we'll take the point. Mm-hmm. 
that then still put the same situation that Dan mentioned sort of applies, which is that you know everyone you know it could well be that Iran can get a result against Portugal, but I'm I'm more of the view that you know if Spain win, Spain will be more than happy to go through with seven points if they so if, they, if Spain beat Portugal and Iran give them a bit of a game, and again the same thing happens at seventy, then it could be that Spain and, and Iran draw. And then, you know, there's then a route for where, where, where Iran can get through with five points with a draw against Portugal, a draw against Spain and a win against Morocco. So I think that that can happen. I think I, th- I think it's a, it's a live runner and rider that Dan's come up with in terms of... It's, it's, a, it's a good argument in that we'll probably all have one as we go through the groups, which we'll go, oh, I'm not quite as sure about them as you are. And it does feel as though that one's Dan's. And I can see exactly, you know, he's, he's voiced the argument well. I just think a lot of it comes down to how desperate Spain are game one to land one on Portugal and beat them. I... I it's funny, actually, because I was thinking a lot of what you were thinking, but I was actually thinking it from Morocco rather than Iran. Okay. Uh, mainly, I don't know if, if it's just because I'm more familiar with some of their star players, like Ziyech and um, what's the fella's name? Not that familiar with them, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew where I was going to get that. lad from Juventus. No, Amin Harit. That's who I was trying to think of. Amin Harit, who has impressed me a lot in the Bundesliga this season. I think that they've got those kind of star-talented players that can be underrated. I also think that Portugal's defence is a little bit shaky. They've got... It's old as well, it's isn't very, it? It's not yeah. old. It's not just old, but they're also wildcards. Bruno Alves, Pepe and Jose Font. I mean, it's None like... None of them are playing legit football anymore, no. are they? It's, it's almost like an episode of The Three Stooges. Yeah, well, the youngest one's 34, is he? Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think that Spain are going to try and land a heavy blow on them because of the potential uh, consequences because I think if you're looking or if, you th- if you're Spain and you're trying to think further ahead if you're finished top of the group then it's a potential uh, quarterfinal Argentina maybe if you finish uh, the other way it could be France but to get there to France you've got to go through Portugal whereas to get to Argentina you've got to go through Egypt so it's kind of like a pick your poison in terms of which one you think is going to be easier which one you think is going to be a, a, a better choice to go for but in terms of the psychological damage you can do to Portugal I suspect Spain will be going out to win that game because Portugal are one of those teams who they often start poorly in tournaments but if you haven't killed them off by the time it gets to the business end then they're going to be a real threat Spain Ian the, I watched um, a little bit of the game against Tunisia and um, the they look quite Spain in that it all looks good on the ball, but you're worried about a bit of cutting edge. But they, they won the game 1 0, and it's only friendly. But I noticed, I've just had a look at the game before that, they draw 1 all against Switzerland. Is there, is there a slight cutting edge issue, or is that just a, a bit of a cliche with Spain that I'm, um, I'm kind of trotting out? <laughs> it's been levelled at them, John, to be fair. But then when you look at them against Argentina not so long ago, and they absolutely ran Yeah, they won that 6 yeah, 1. So I think when you're leading, when you're leading up to these big tournaments and, and Germany are renowned for it where they have these kind of stuttering performances you know, I think you know, I don't want to go into Germany's group here but they beat Saudi Arabia for instance 2-1 the other night that ended their run of five winless games but you know they'll go into the tournaments and they won't let themselves down they'll be the, the German side that you know they will be I think the Portugal thing is interesting you know, even in the Euros they go on and win that but they are terrible in the group I think they draw all their first three games yeah. but somehow they find a way you know that back to that wily old Fox thing and most touching the three defenders there I was surprised to see all three of them still in the squad to be honest given their age um, and Ronaldo's 33 he's talking about as well, as well haven't they yeah. it's, it's, it's unreal I mean you know Ronaldo and Bernardo Silva are the, are the standouts I suppose from a, an attacking point of view but you you do look at them and think they're an aging side, but are they a side still that can just, they know what it's about, they know how to get over the line. I have to say, 
So after saying all that, I still think it is a group where, similar to Mo, when I looked at it, I thought Spain absolutely top in that group. I think they will come out and they will have a go at Portugal uh, in game one. But I do think that Morocco side have got a chance. And as we touched on before, there's always that one group where it, it just goes a, a little bit against the grain. And I think Morocco could be the surprise package in that group. Do you have a Spain point, Neil? I do have a Spain point. <laughs> uh, my Spain point isn't that necessarily that cutting edge. It's that the nature of the cutting edge that they've got doesn't want to play the way Spain play. No. So I think you could, I can more than, it's quite easy for me to imagine a universe where a side that is where a line is led by Diego Costa can win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Diego Costa is brilliant at this sort of thing, but all the things that Diego Costa really yeah. wants to do whilst he plays football are neutralised by the way mo- most of the rest of the Spain squad wants to play football. So he's banging yeah. into defenders and no one's even passing to him. Yeah, no one's saying no. No, How often, in, you know, the way Spain want to alleviate pressure on the whole is to keep the ball and shift it around. Diego wants to go and run a channel, give someone a living nightmare for five minutes, make it really, really awful and then go from there. And I, you know, I it is... The, the, and that stylistic clash has always been there. You know, Spain don't just play the sort of the the the, the cliched sort of uh, Spanish post Barcelona, post Guardiola sort of way. But they still, you know, you look at those footballers. David Silva wants to have the ball at feet and yeah. wants to go from there. Isco is a similar sort of footballer. Yes, he plays with Cristiano Ronaldo, but there's even a gulf between the latter day Cristiano Ronaldo and Diego Costa. You know, and and that's where. And in theory, it should mean well. You know, your job, Diego, is to. Is to, is to score the goal that means that we win a couple of these games 1-0 and he's got that in his back pocket but the way he wants to do it is to have been hellish for 90 minutes not to just get on the end of something and have it all look lovely and they've got no one else who really has made a strong enough claim to, 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 to slip in there No and the, the two other Spanish forwards in form from the season Aspas and Rodrigo they're not tested really at international level and then you think about the Portugal game when you think about those defenders we were talking about they would much prefer to play against Costa than a lot of really quick, fast, technical lads who are going to put the ball through and run rings around them. So it's, it's almost like an existential question that Spain have got because they're one of the few teams who have made the false nine work well at international level. I'm surprised that Pedro did make his way into squad almost as a way of being like, OK, he's our one for that. They've got Esco who could do it. They've, I mean... David Silva's been mooted, but I'm not sure he's got the legs these days anymore. It should only really be a problem for them when they get to the last eight, Yeah, is the one thing I'd say. I mean, I'd be really surprised if they don't get through the group, but I think it's when they get to the last eight that if they haven't solved it, I can I can see them coming up against someone in the last eight. I think if it goes to plan, they'd probably get Argentina, and that's where there might be a real difference between quantities of cutting edge on the pitch versus quantities of quality footballers. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to pick your two to go through. Um, just a reminder, it's Portugal, Spain, Morocco and Iran. Uh, Neil? Uh, just because Dan Austin was so eloquent on the subject, I'm going to go with Spain and Iran. In fact, I might get an Iranian shirt. <laughs> Ian? I'm going to go with Spain and Morocco, Gibbo. Oh, okay. Uh, Dan? Spain and Iran. I'd love to if you'd gone for Morocco there after all. <laughs> Morocco and Iran. <laughs> well, I'm going to say, unfortunately, Spain and Portugal, but with the proviso that Morocco get absolutely robbed in the game against Portugal and they snide their way into it. I almost can't wait for that game now. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. And all four teams kind of mentioned there, so that was quite nice as well. Um, OK, we'll go on to Group C now. We've got France, Australia, Peru and Denmark. Mo. I mean, France looks strong, don't they? I mean, my God, that squad, they, 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 left, they left a lot of good players yeah. out. I think the team of players that they left out could easily win the World Cup, I think, in some other years. Again, 
they look great and the similar issues that France have had in past tournaments, maybe literally the last one as a good prime example, yeah. they haven't gone away yet. So, Is it, Do you mean in terms of fitting players into systems and square pegs into round holes? Yes, a bit? and in terms of uh, the crunch moments, uh, stepping up and taking on the challenge. And again, there's a, that kind of vague idea of mentality, of fragility around the French side. But again, like we were saying with Spain, I do think that they've got a bit of an existential question because they've always been 4-3-3 for the last for however how long and it has had its benefits but I can see some of the players that he's set on using would probably work better in a diamond now I know that they played the diamond recently and it didn't look that impressive but the idea of having a Kante at a base Griezmann at the top and then you allowing yourself to have two strikers beyond Griezmann so you can have Mbappe and Giroud because, let's face it, Deschamps likes playing Giroud. He likes the partnership that he gives, the, the links he gives. If they're looking at 4-3-3, it's more likely to be uh, a Griezmann, Mbappe and a Dembele. And then you'll have uh, Matuidi and Pogba either side of N'Golo Kante. And that will work. But I just think in terms of the way that they all suit it, the team, I would go with the diamond. What Deschamps decides to do, whether he takes it between different games, looking at one for the stronger teams and one for the potentially weaker teams, I don't know. But when it comes to the crunch later on, I think that's going to be what decides how far they go. What do you think, Danny? I mean, you watch a lot of French football and how do you think you've got to this situation, first of all, where there, where there is so much talented young players I mean is it, it was you know I'm sure it's, it's, it's a reasonable kind of plan from it but they seem to be in rude health and so have they got into that situation as far as you, you're concerned and, and how do they marry it and how do they allow you know these players to gel to somehow become like even just the sum of their parts I think it's a combination of well I mean it's it's loads of sort of geographical history and in, in the fact that loads of lads that they've got playing for them could also play for North African nations but because they're part of French academies and grow up there they end up playing for France so they've got a much bigger sort of talent pool um, in terms of numbers from the start but also they have got really good academies mm. um, and then it's a lot of it's just also luck because I mean if you go back and look at the 2010 squads it was full of people in the 30s mm. it was I mean like that like so Anelka was still getting a game um I think Trezeguet was not in that squad, but was still kicking about until Ever just before well, yeah. that tournament and stuff. Um, so it's just that they've all kind of come through at the same time. They've got lads that are playing in, in different leagues as well, which is really good, and especially as a comparison to England. Like they've got um, Benjamin Pavard, the right fullback who plays for Stuttgart and has been talked about as like a 50, 60 million pound player, and I think he's 20, 21. Um, he's probably not even going to start because Jibril Sadibe, the, the Monaco player, will play it right back. I, I think that the issue, I, I don't think that they'll win the World Cup as strong as the squad is. Because I think the manager's a really big issue. I just don't think he's very good. Um, was there, was there no, has been there no pressure on him at all? There has from sort of the media and stuff. But because he's such a, a seminal figure, he was the captain that lifted the trophy in 98, he's, he's, he's such a kind of legend that it feels as though the French Football Federation and, and people in the game, don't, it's not that they don't want to offend him, but they hold him in such high regard that they're willing to give him chance after chance. And... They underperformed in 2014. I think they got to the quarterfinals, but then it was a very comfortable victory that Germany had over them. And and they really should have won the, yeah. the Euros in 2016 with home advantage I mean, yeah. against a pretty ordinary Portugal mm-hmm. team, especially once Ronaldo goes off injured. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that he, he got them to the final was seen as sort of enough to, to keep him on for another tournament and his contract takes him up to 2020 now. But I, I just don't think he's particularly good tactically. He, he, 
the team that he'll pick, and, and most just pretty much detailed it, it'll be Kante, Matuidi and Pogba in midfield, and then he absolutely adores a target man, so it'll 100% be Giroud. He's only just stopped picking Gignac, who's like 30, <laughs> he's 34 and he plays in Mexico. Um, so he'll, he'll have Giroud up front and he'll have probably Mbappe and, and Griezmann sort of either side of him. And those are all really good players, but it's just a bit functional, and and I'm I'm not sure who's making loads of chances in games against teams with good defences there. In the group stage, it'll be fine because they're all well better than anything that they're going to come up against. But when they get to play in the real top teams, when they come up against Brazil's defence, for example, I'm just not sure what Giroud's doing against Miranda and Thiago Silva and who's unlocking You're it. You're sure he's going to stick with Giroud? Do you not I, think he's going to do Mbappe end up doing something a bit funky? I mean, or? he should. He really should. He, like, but he I, just if, loves a target, man. He, that's It's the way he's played since he took over them. Um, even even in 2016, he was getting absolutely hounded for, for sticking with Giroud when they were struggling to beat Albania and Romania and stuff like that. But he stuck with them all the way through. Um, and I think they've got much more talented players. And one thing that they've got is an abundance of pace. Yeah. And they could just use that to try and win it if they wanted. They could go Mbappe down the middle, Griezmann one side and Dembele the other, is what I would do if I was picking them lads. But it's just not the way he plays football. And... I mean, it still could be well enough to win the World Cup. I think Giroud's a really good player, but I just think that he's... I, ju- I just can't picture him being the fella that leads you to something. No. And, and I don't think him holding the ball up and getting knockdowns and balls <laughs> going in the box to him is the way that they're going to play, so it doesn't really suit him. I think it's almost like their best bet is if Dembele comes in uh, off the bench early on in the tournament and does so well that he has to pick him. Yeah. Because uh, the so Ar- it's a Beckham in a yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, because the uh, the thing with Giroud as well as as we've seen in the Premier League over the last two three seasons, he's a fantastic substitute. Mm-hmm. He's one of the best guys to bring off the bench to change a game. So you can still say to him, "Look, you're still key to our game plan. It's just that we're going to use you when everyone else is a little bit more tired. So you you can just use your link up play and you can use your strength against weakened defenders. But up until that point, to get them tired, we've got all these really quick, fast, technical lads who are going to spread them out, and that just seems like a much more coherent game plan. I think in terms of Deschamps' pressure, I think the fact that possibly the only bigger legend than him has now suddenly become available if they do badly in this tournament that might change dramatically Mm -hmm. the the goodwill might dissipate but I'm like Dan I don't expect them to see problems in the group but by the same token I think that could work against them in terms of them not being ready for a big game in the quarterfinals Is it possible they to have too many stars And, and what I'm meaning by that is obviously Portugal win the last Euros and there's very obvious, clear who the, who their best player is and, and who they want to who they want to go through. Uh, Wales with a big story of that. They've got Gareth Bale and, and he's a, he's a, he's a team player, Gareth Bale. But it was, you know his teammates knew who they were who they were getting into and who they were relying on. And I'm just looking at this fan squad and I'm thinking, Paul Pogba's agents going, "This is your World Cup. This mm. you know what I mean. This is this is one." And and the, the, the stars that they've got as well. How many, you know, with a highly talked about, but they haven't got a big moment. Even Mbappe hasn't had his big kind of worldwide moment yet. You look at Griezmann; he was actually a little bit disappointing. I thought in Euro 2016, and you know, he hasn't he hasn't won it with a Champions League or anything like that. So, what I guess I'm getting at is that all those agents in 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 the room going, "This is your World Cup. This is where you become not just a, a football star, but a, but a world sports star." And whether that sort of thing can sort of count against you, possibly. Give it. I read something earlier actually that said maybe this this World Cup comes a little bit early for some of these France players and maybe actually Qatar in four years' time is where they'll really shine. You know, some of those young players come to the fore, who knows? But I think that the talk around the selection is dead interesting. I mean, Deschamps was only saying earlier today that you know, Giroud's not 
absolutely certain to start, given that he had a really kind of severe cut to his head that required a lot of stitches. So he's not definitely going to line up against Australia. And I think sometimes it's all about taking your chances at a World Cup. So if Dembele does start that first game and he has an absolute worldie against that Australian team, then how do you get him out? You know, how, how, just, how do you then suddenly go, right, Giroud, you're starting the next game? I'm not so sure. And, and even if Giroud does start and he's not quite 100% fit and things aren't going well and Dembele gets introduced from the bench and wins the game for them, I think if you look back historically at World Cups, the team that sometimes starts is not the team that finishes. You know, it, it's littered with people who come in out of nowhere and suddenly take the World Cup out of scruff of the neck. I remember watching the, the 1991 quite recently, the review of that, and obviously Scalacci's the kind of star name, yeah. but he's nowhere near the, the first 11. He comes in, the struggle, and he scores a goal. He stays in the in the side then and ends up with six goals, top goal scorer, etc., etc. So I think it's really hard sometimes to say, Who's nailed on starters? Uh, who's going to be nailed on starters when you're looking at someone like France when they've got so many good players? But I agree with the boys. If it was me picking it, you know that front three of Dembele and Mbappe and Griezmann with what you've got behind, it's, it's massively going to excite you. Yeah, I think that Deschamps thing's dead interesting given that he's got all the experience of lifting the World Cup in '98 as a player, but somehow he's not been able to kind of maybe use some of that uh, in terms of feeding it into his players so they've been able to kind of you know get some of that knowledge about to get over the line they just look like a side that are maybe a little bit too short this year but I think it's dead interesting I have to say you'd fancy them to get to at least the semi-finals Okay um, the other teams in the group we should, we should probably talk about a little bit as well um, you've got Australia Peru and Denmark I mean Denmark in, in that qualifier against Republic of Ireland were, were very impressive and, and, and normally do well in tournaments. I don't know if you've got a, a fancy from, from, from those, Neil, to, to presumably join France in the last 16. My Denmark have got Denmark have got Ericsson. For me, Peru almost feel like a throwback World Cup team. I'm really looking forward to watching their first game. And I'm I'm sort of, you can read the guides, and I know this is ridiculous, and if people are listening to this, they're probably thinking, good Lord, lads, I'm listening to this because I think you know stuff. <laughs> I'm almost staying deliber- deliberately ignorant about Peru. Like, I want to find it all out yeah, at the tournament, yeah, and I'm cool. really excited about it. And so I'm trying not to even engage with them. I don't want to pick any of them in any of my fantasy teams. I don't want to, I don't want to even go near it because th- they scored that wonderful goal that I saw the other day on video, and I was, I, I just fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> and what I don't want to do is, I don't want to find out, I don't want to Google the person I've fallen in love with and get too much information. Yeah, I want to, yeah, I don't want to find out that Peru is Peru Tories. If Peru Tories, I'll be absolutely gutted. Yeah. And so I'm just so. Of I want to watch Peru unfold, so it's difficult for me to say because I think that you know when Ericsson inspired Denmark, I think it helps you at times, and I think it's dead interesting to talk about France and Denmark. I think it also helps you when everyone knows who the best player is for international tournaments up to a point. I think it really does help, and Denmark really do know it. Um, but I really want Peru to be magnificent, and I really want Peru to play some fabulous stuff, get to the last eight, have that brilliant kit, and we're all just going, let's buy all of their lads, even though we all know <laughs> that at heart they'll be crap when they move. I want that. I really want Peru to take to take my breath away. Okay, I think we're all going for France to qualify from the group, so to join them, you've got a choice between Australia, Peru, and Denmark, and I'll go right to left this time, Mo. Ah, uh, I want to pick Peru for a lot of the same reasons that Neil just showed. I mean, he made a great case. He did. And also, they are a historic team. I mean, the last time they were in the World Cup, I was literally wearing nappies. So <laughs> it's something that they, they, the pride and the emotion that they've taken from this journey and the fact that they've got their spiritual leader back in Paolo Guerrero, who's not apparently being banned for having cocaine in his tea, and he's now ready and happy to play. But I can't argue with your other point, which is that Christian Eriksen is the class of the field. 
Denmark have got a set of players who are used to playing to service him and are happy to do so. And again, another old Danish tradition. And I think that that'll be enough for them. Um, yeah, I'm going to go Peru. I think Guerrero and Jefferson Farfan have got enough between them to score the goals to get them through. Denmark, Eriksen aside, I don't really think they've got a forward player that's going to do an awful lot of good for no. them. It's Jorgensen, isn't it? The final player. And Kasper Dolberg as mm. well for Ajax. Ben is still knocking about as well, isn't he? He's injured, he's, he's not, not going. Going. He's not He was going. in the squad, yeah. but he has to take him out. Um, so now I'm going to go Peru in France. Yeah. I, I think it'll be Denmark. I take Dan's point there. I think Jefferson Farvan's over at Locomotive Moscow now ploughing his trade. But I think, I think it'll still be It'll be the, 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 the relatively big hitters in terms of France and, and Denmark. I still can't believe Tim Cale's knocking about, by the way. He's, 38, in, the, yeah. he's in the Australian squad, which is just wild. Yeah. Brad Jones still in it. Well, yeah. you know, he was Dutch keeper of the year last year, wasn't he? Neil? I've got to go with Peru now, haven't I? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, a nice little variety there, which suggests it'll be, should be in a, an exciting group, even if you think the France are favourites to qualify, as we all seemingly do. Okay, we'll finish uh, this first part one on Group D, which is Argentina, Iceland, Croatia and Nigeria. Um, I'll start with you, Neil. It's, it sort of seems a bit more level, this group, in terms of you, you, you can make an argument for any of them. Obviously, Argentina and Argentina, and they've got Messi and, and so many other good players, and they've left some good players out as well, by the way, especially up front. Um, Iceland did so well in the Euros and... and qualified well again and will fancy themselves to to do well Croatia tend to do well um, in tournaments and, and have got you know Luka Modric and, and, a, and a few other good players as well and then, and then you've got Nigeria as well who've got decent pedigree too and so I guess I'm saying you can make a case for any of them which is sort of what you want from a World Cup group it sort of is but I'm it's, it's really strange to me that this is the least certainly and maybe I'm just not reading the right places but this is the least Messi's been talked about before a World Cup yeah. for I think for any of the World Cups he's gone to and it sort of strikes me that he might in a weird sense be the most ready in that he's just gone through a really functional season with Barcelona where he's been unbelievable but Barcelona have been really functional and have sort of relied upon Messi's brilliance whereas in the past Messi's brilliance has sort of been, it's been at the centre of what they do, but it's also sort of been the sprinkling on Guardiola's genius or all that sort of stuff. Whereas basically they played a lot of 4-4-2 with Suarez and Messi being the front two. And Messi's found his way through that. And I'm, I think I think Argentina are weirdly dark horses for this World Cup and I like them. Um, I think he's made some decisions, whether you like the decisions or not. He's had to make decisions with the squad and whether you like the reasons why he's made some of the decisions. He's actually had to make big calls and so he's made them. Um, and so I think that there's something in, I think there's something in they find their way through this a little bit. And maybe, it's, maybe it is because of, Portugal in, in in the Euros just gone, but it sort of seems like I I think they might go really really far. They're, they've got a really good coach in, in San Paoli who did brilliantly with Chile, who knows what it is to win. They've got players in there who know what it is to win. They've got all sorts of stuff that's happening for them in terms of being able to get results. And I'm I like them and I like the group and I think that they can find a way through that group as well. It gives them three different types of challenge and they go from there. Yeah, it's Argentina in as well. They've you know, we talked about age a lot as well, and I think some of the years Argentinian players are just the right age, and that's probably the last World Cup for them, but they still should have a little bit of in the legs and talking about Mascarano, uh, Di Maria, who's expected to play as well. Probably Aguero, if, if we're honest, they might be looking at it and thinking, well, am I going to be kind of, you know, at the required level in, in four years' time? And so it just feels like Argentina might go in with, with a feeling of a little bit of proof. Possibly. You'd always feel with Argentina, this, and I'll take Neil's point before there about the pressure, 
at stake on Messi and he, and he, he was talking, I think it was last week and obviously he's approaching 31 now and he's saying obviously, you know, he retired for a little bit from international football but then felt that pull to come back and try and win a World Cup. He got so close last time. Obviously, he suffered the, the Copper America losses as well. I think he missed a penalty in one of them to Chile. So, he's had a lot of heartbreak international-wise and if you look at Argentina, you know, you don't fear for them from a, an attacking point of view. You know, anyone that can leave out a card, 29 goals and oh, just yeah. over 30 games has obviously got serious attacking prowess and obviously Dybala, Aguero, Higuain, you've touched on. So loads and loads of real kind of positives going forward. But I just think, you know, and I'm not just basing this on the, on, on the Spain game where they get demolished, but at the back, you do worry for them a little bit. Uh, and I know Otamendi's there, but again, it... At the times where he just looks wild, I think he's improved his performances this year for Man City, certainly in the early part of the season. But I just think, whilst I see them getting as far as maybe the quarterfinals, I just don't see them really kind of getting close to win Nick, if I'm honest. What about the other teams then, Dan? You've got Iceland, sorry, um, Croatia and Nigeria. Um, Iceland surprised everyone in, in, in the last Euros. Mm-hmm. They're not going to necessarily have the same luxury in that people will know a bit more about them. People yeah. will be, you know, expecting a bit more from them and, and no one will be taking them light, lightly. Similar Croatia, you know, the a top team, people know the players and, and people are going to be, you know, bang up for it against them as well. Uh, yeah, I actually fancy Croatia to go really far. I think they could get as far as the semi-finals potentially. I think they've got a really good squad. Um, me, Josh and Sean from the office went to watch them play against Brazil and Philly the other week. And in the end, it was fairly comfortable for Brazil once they brought Neymar on second half and Croatia had made a load of changes as well. But first half, it was completely even. And it was a first-choice Brazil 11, apart from Neymar being missing. And and they held their own. They played on the break. They've got a lot of players that can score goals as well, which is really important. They've got, you mentioned Modric from midfield, but they've also got Kovacic and, and Brozovic, who plays for uh, Inter Milan. They've got the likes of Mandzukic and Kalinic up front. Perisic, um, Perisic, Perisic Anti Loads of really good players that can score goals. Um, the defence is fairly good as well. They've got, obviously, Dexy Lovren there, who's yeah. been pretty much man of a match in a European Cup final. The goalkeeper, <laughs> Subasic, has, has got an error in him, but is, is really talented and seems to have got more consistent playing for Monaco in the past couple of years. Um, I, I just think they're really solid. And there's no, as, as much as Modric is, is the sort of talisman and, and the captain and stuff, I don't think he's really the, the standout player. They're not constantly looking to give him the ball and for him to do everything for them. So I was expecting to finish second in this group beyond Argentina, but then depending on who they get in the subsequent rounds, I don't think the, I think they're always in with a shout no matter who they're playing Street against. knockout football might suit them a little bit once they're through. I think so, because I don't think there's, I don't think there's a, like a, a there is still a group of teams that is of a higher quality to them. There's a top level that includes Argentina, includes Brazil, Germany, France, etc. You've got a better squad and a better start at 11. But I think they're within enough touching distance of them that in 90 minutes they can hold their own. And then it's just about what they can do in terms of getting the ball forward and, and getting some from a set piece or whoever's playing up front for them that day. So I, I think it'll definitely be them two that get through that group. And yeah, I think Croatia can, can not necessarily win it, but can get to the quarter semis definitely. In terms of Nigeria, they, they qualified really well from from, from mm-hmm. the uh, from the group. They had a tough group as well. I'm looking at it here. They had Alger- Algeria, Cameroon, and Zambia, and mm-hmm. and they actually qualified with a game to spare. So they do really well. And I read a really good interview with um, with Jean Michel yeah. um, recently. I can't remember where it was. It was in the last couple of weeks. So kind of look out for it when he talks about mistakes made at previous World Cups and how they've been embroiled in issues with 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 FAs and with each other and 
I mean, I suppose he would say this, but he's sort of saying that this squad's quite sound, you know. Yeah. And and we've we've got rid of all the uh, knobheads, so to speak, <laughs> and like we're not we're not fighting, and and they're aware that you know he actually thinks he should have won a World Cup by now, mm-hmm. but but he talks about you know that this squad you know might have not have quite as many household names, but it's still a talented squad. We still perform well, and they're playing much more as a team. They are, and I mean to be fair, he's probably the best placed person to make that observation, even though, he, like you say, he probably would want to say it anyway, <laughs> but. I think expectations in Nigeria is a strange one because at home they've always been seen as the best, the most likely African team to break through. And yet you're right, they've almost kind of seemed to France it up a little bit when they go into a tournament. This year, um, I like them as a team better. I, I think that they're probably sick of seeing Argentina because they seem to draw them in every single World Cup that's ever going. Um, I think that the fact that Croatia, I think, is their first game might help because if that's one that they can probably be the most evenly matched at, if they can give that one a real go, then that means that they've got potentially Iceland in the bank. I think second place is going to be between those two. I do think, like Dan, though, that Croatia will probably be the ones. And I agree with Dan that if, if the tournament kind of extrapolates out as we expect it, they could be a real trap game for France in the last 16, especially if, as we were just saying, France haven't had any real tests within their group and they're still not quite sure what they are and what they're doing. A, a, a fit, a determined, talented Croatian team could just completely smash them apart. OK, uh, I'm going to ask you now, game for Group D, who you fancy to qualify. I'll start with you, Ian. You've got uh, Argentina, Iceland, Croatia and Nigeria. I think it will be Argentina, and I do think Croatia. Uh, even though I think you know, look at the side, they're quite an aging team, which is why I don't see them maybe going kind of the full distance. I think it might catch up with them a little bit, but I think they'll have enough to go through in second place. I watched Nigeria against England recently, and again that friendly thing, but they looked absolutely wild at the back. I have to say, so uh, yeah, I, I would go with Argentina and Croatia. Okay, uh, Dan, uh, I'm going to go Argentina and Croatia as well. Just quickly on the Nigeria thing, I was reading something interesting on the way in. Um, they've, they've obviously taken three goalkeepers and they've apparently decided and announced today that the goalkeeper that they're going to be picking as, as the starting one is a 19-year-old lad who in professional football has played two La Liga games and four international friendlies. Wow. Which is absolutely wild. Oh. Uh, he was playing for an academy in Qatar until early 2017 and then joined Deportivo La Coruña. Um, and, and now they're just throwing him in at a World Cup, which Be is Be cheap crazy. on your fantasy league. <laughs> Be cheap on your fantasy league. Uh, Argentina, Croatia. Yep, same full house. Clean sweep for that. Okay, I think the group would be, be a little bit more interesting now, but we will and see. Um, so that's the end of our part one. There will be part two coming out almost immediately after this as well. But in the meantime, thanks to Mo, thanks to Dan, thanks to Ian, and thanks to Neil. Uh, this show has been sponsored by Redsbet. Do have a look at the Redsbet site. There'll be lots of specials on for the World Cups as well as obviously the outrights and, and being able to bet on every game as well but we do encourage everyone to gamble responsibly they also have a fancy competition which you'll have approximately two days left to answer from enter sorry from when this goes out so just click on redsbet.com and click on fantasy there's a world cup fantasy tournament and there is a prize pool of twenty five thousand pounds for that uh, feel free to ooh boys Ooh. there we go <laughs> and the, the first a thousand entries to that are free so um, getting quickly and you might be able to get a free entry into that as well so that's World Cup Fantasy uh, more of this to come but in the meantime thanks to the boys and yeah enjoy Sports Social Podcast Network